Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So we, we mentioned this briefly last week. If there's a trade out there for P. Alonzo that involves getting, I think your idea was Corbin Carroll and Zach Gowan or whatever it was. Obviously, that's not realistic. I don't want anybody sending us hate mail about it. Then, yeah, you know, anybody can be bought. Anybody can be traded for the right price. So I always want to try to be careful with you can never trade so-and-so. Everybody can be traded in the right deal. To answer your question, and of course, I'm just guessing because we don't actually know what's out there for individual players. No, I don't think there is some kind of return for Pete Alonzo that would get me or you or many Med fans to say, hey, that makes a lot of sense. Going back to the locker room thing. I do not believe the Mets focus this season during the offseason should be fixing a locker room. It should be fixing the talent disparity. Now, Brandon Nimmo on the record in Puma's article said, I see no difference between this room and last year's room. That's one guy. You don't have to believe him. But I just don't and haven't heard, based on the reporters that are in the locker room, I'm not, Sal's not, you're not, we're not in the room. I don't know what the hell's actually going on in the locker room. I'm not going to lie to you and say I do. So you trust the reporting. And right now, the only reporting I've seen is the pitchers didn't talk a lot to each other this year as compared to last year, which obviously has nothing to do with Pete Alonzo. Does Pete Alonzo and Francisco Lindor get along? I don't know. And by the way, I don't think it matters. There were 26 guys in a locker room. Not everybody's going to be best friends. Does any of us really think Lindor and McNeil are BFFs after choking each other two years ago? No. Yeah, but I think that's overrated. You got to look at the talent on a roster, and you got to build it that way. Pete Alonso is a very, very special player. Pete Alonso is special in that he plays just about every day. He is an incredible slugger. He has gotten better and better defensively and he doesn't get enough credit for it and that really really frustrates me and I don't know if it's he has a reputation and sometimes when you have a reputation nothing can break it but you watch every inning I watch every inning I can say definitively and I don't need analytics to back me up even though they do Pete Alonso's gotten better defensively he has I think that says something about a player I think it says something about a player who continues to get better and better I also look at him and I see a guy that while he'll have down seasons like this year where he's only hitting 225, he'll have up seasons where he hits 280. The one constant is he's going to hit a lot of home runs every single year. And I think there's a value to that. 
And I think that you and I have had a discussion that seemed meaningless and trivial over the last year. And I'll tell you why it really, really matters. We used to talk a lot about why his war was so low. Why does Pete Alonso, we watch him every day. He's a fine base runner. He's gotten better defensively. He hits a ton of home runs. Why is his war so low? And we never understood it. I think that his value around Major League Baseball is not nearly as high as we believe it is. So what I mean by that is there is no trade out there that is going to get you hot and bothered. doesn't mean teams are going to offer nothing for Pete, but the idea that you're going to get some kind of return, oh, this is such a right Got to make this deal. It's a fallacy. I think it's a fantasy. First of all, I'm not interested in trading Pete Alonso for prospects. I don't give a crap who the prospects are. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense timeline-wise. They want to win in a year or two? Pete Alonso's in the prime of his career, and I don't believe he's someone who's going to age badly. I forget who said it. I'm trying to remember if, I think it was actually on the Yankee broadcast. So I want to give, and it was Jeff Nelson. Now it's come back to me. Jeff Nelson and Michael Kay on the Yankee broadcast over the weekend were talking about the build of certain players. Maybe it wasn't Jeff Nelson, actually. Maybe it was somebody else. I don't remember the broadcast. Maybe it was the Met broadcast, for all I know. But they were talking about the build of certain ball players and how being too muscular is a bad thing. And one great example of that is Giancarlo Stanton. He's always hurt. He's an Adonis, but he's always hurt. Juan Gonzalez was an Adonis, always hurt. And then there are guys who are, don't appear to be in the greatest shape in the world. David Wells, CeCe Sabathia, Pete Alonzo. Not that Pete is like CeCe or David Wells. And they never get hurt. And the old joke was, well, you can't pull fat. Pete Alonzo, not that he's fat, has a track record early in his major league career of rarely getting hurt. And think about what his injuries were. He got hit by a pitch. That's far different than pulling a muscle, walking from one end of the locker room to the other. Hello, Giancarlo Stanton, who's in the greatest shape in the world. So I look at Pete as a reliable 40. He is a reliable 40 home run guy. And for whatever reason, the analytics, his war, has not been very kind to him. So A, I don't think the trade return on Pete Alonso is so good that I have to say, yes, I want to do it. And then the other thing is, while he'll get paid in free agency, I don't think teams are going to go nuts for him. And that is my hypothesis on what's happening with Pete Alonso. Why were there rumblings that the Mets were thinking about trading him at the deadline? Why is it no longer a guarantee they're going to lock him up long term? It has nothing to do with him in the locker room. It has everything to do with how they value him. Pete Alonso is probably going to ask, and this would be my suggestion if I'm Pete, eight years, 250. That would be what I'd ask for. And I'm not sure if the Mets value him that way. And the Mets could have an arrogance or a confidence of, you know what? Go to free agency. Let's see how good you really get or how much you really get in free agency. Now, the Yankees played that game a year ago. I don't want to say it backfired because they kept Aaron Judge. But it backfired, right? Teams were falling all over for him. He came off in a monster season. They had to pay a lot more. I think there's probably just a difference in opinion on what they should pay Pete. To me, 
when you don't have a salary cap and you've got an owner that's a billionaire, I'm not saying be stupid, but I'm saying I would be more aggressive with one of my own than someone I'm trying to sign from elsewhere. I'd be more aggressive with my own guy than a 40-year-old former Cy Young Award winner. I'd be more aggressive at potentially making a mistake because, of course, any contract could be a mistake. Look what happened with David. We all love David Wright. That contract was a disaster. But the difference was it was the Wilpons. So that disaster hamstrung them. No disaster hamstrung Steve Cohen, as we just saw. He'll just pay it off to get a prospect back. So I always lean towards I'd rather make a misstep with my own guy than a misstep with some guy who I'm paying for what they did elsewhere. Juan Soto is a better player than Pete Alonso. I am not arguing that. Juan, I mean, they're different, but Juan Soto is a better hitter. I'd rather make a mistake with Pete than make a mistake with Juan Soto. Because the mistake you make with someone else is the guy who produced everything for somebody else. Juan Soto in 2019 with the Nationals don't mean a damn thing to me. Juan Soto with the Padres doesn't mean a damn. It's all about what are you doing for me once I sign you to a contract? Well, when you're keeping your own guy, yeah, it's about what you're doing next, but you also have the memories that he did everything in his career with your team. So I know this will be an argument and a deeper discussion as time moves on, but I would absolutely get something done with Pete. I would prioritize it. I wouldn't risk it, but I do think that his value around baseball is far different than maybe we have for him. You agree with that, by the way, Pete? Yeah, I I think the Mets, now that you really you brought it up, I think the Mets are trying to pull the Aaron Judge where it's like, let's see what the market has out there for you, and we'll sign you anyway. But I just don't like those games. I like to get it done and over with because I want to move on and, and rebuild this team the proper way that needs to be rebuilt. And I think that he starts with that. He's also a very, very difficult player to replace. Now, think about it. How do you replace a guy who's a reliable 40 home run hitter? How do you do that? It's not easy. And I think you got to keep that in mind. That's a, that's a very difficult thing to do if he's not on this team for whatever reason. I still remain hopeful and confident. I Look, the, the whole crux of this thing is I don't buy this crap that the Mets have to change their roster based on clubhouse chemistry. I don't buy that. Yeah, it's just me. I know that there's going to be a lot of evaluation about this roster over the next few weeks and months. And sometimes we get bored of saying the obvious. And sometimes we always look for new reasons why things went bad. And clubhouse issues has always been kind of a go-to thing to go to. And I've never been like that. I look at the roster. I look at talent. And I say, I want the most talented guys on my team. The Mets have two guys in Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor who are very good baseball players. I want them on my team moving forward. And the idea that they can't coexist unless there's new reporting is based on fantasy. Let's get to some of your emails, the B at gmail.com. Richard Laconi writes, why am I here? I watched the destruction of the Mets 21 to three. At the time, I was applauding Buck's strategy of playing AAA teams against the Braves to tire them out for the nightcap. I've tortured my son into now 19 games this season. As we drove down from Westchester today, he said, quote, I knew being a Mets fan was going to be tough, but man, 21 to three, 
is really terrible, Dad. He's eight. What have I done? Why are we here? We're also going to two of three versus the Pirates. So do you guys think this is considered cruel and unusual punishment? Sincerely, Rich. No. You're teaching him a life lesson. As disappointed as we all are about this season, as disappointed as I was about what happened to the Brooklyn Nets, I looked at it as a good opportunity for my oldest son, my youngest son doesn't understand things, to realize, hey, things don't come easy. All right? Oh, you thought it was just going to be easy to win an NBA championship? No. Oh, you thought it was going to be easy to win a World Series? No. You have to suffer the way I suffer. I mean, think about this, Hoff. I started watching the Mets in 1992. What a time to be alive. 92, 93, the strike of 94, celebrating second place under 595, 91 losses in 96. Like, if you're eight and you're watching bad baseball, welcome to our world. Yeah, but here's the thing, though, and I, I, I respect where he comes from. We don't want to torture the kids. We don't want them to. We don't want. We want it to be better. And this is. And this is something. Let's be serious. We. I talked about this. I tell people all the time. I have a picture of my entire family wearing Mets gear, going to a baseball game. It was my two step kids, my wife, my infant at the time. He was like nine months old at the time. Everyone's rocking Mets, and it changed quickly because the Mets sucked after 2016. They did nothing, mm. and and it was easy for people to lean. There's another team in town that made the playoffs every year. They got Aaron Judge. It's easy to lean towards a winning team. Yeah, I tr- I've tr- I've tried really hard, and again, like you go from 101 wins to crap. It's it's tough to really sell that to kids. Now, I will say this much though: I did take uh, two of my sons uh, to uh, the Cubs game. Cup series. I took them to Tuesday and Wednesday, and they were into base. They love baseball. They right. were into baseball. They were into. My kid was was screaming and hollering and pumping up the crowd in the ninth inning when the Mets were about to to win that game on Wednesday. Look so like he, he's he's five years old. He's turned into a Mets fan kind of nice. Uh, but the, <laughs> but the point is, it's like you just love baseball. So yes, of course you're going to take your kids to these games. It's the experience. It's everything. It doesn't make a difference at the end of the day if they win or lose. It's also a great opportunity to buy cheap tickets because the tickets <laughs> right now at City Field are very, very cheap. Uh, Deborah writes, everyone keeps talking about David Stearns for team president next season. While he has a great reputation, what does he want? I'd love to see Theo Epstein. Surprise more people are not rallying for him. Your thoughts? I think the reason why nobody's rallying for Theo is not that he's, a, I mean, he's clearly the best candidate if he was a candidate out there. His reputation is sterling. We all know what he's accomplished. I don't think anybody believes he's interested in the job. So I think the reason why David Stearns has always been the go-to guy is because there's a real connection there. Grew up as a Met fan, uh, probably wants the gig. Theo Epstein has not shown any interest in wanting the gig. Um, Kenneth Hahn writes a dagger to my heart. Watching the recap of yesterday's game two on MLB.tv after that demoralizing first game, I didn't have time. I didn't have it in me to sit through another one. God bless you if you did. By the way, nice job, Quintana. Anyway, bottom of the third inning, one out, Nimmo on first, score is 0 0. Lindor lines out to Matt Olson, and Nimmo's tagged out. Double plays like this happen every day, but one of the freaking play by play guys for the Braves says, 
This to first base is a very Mets double play. His emphasis on the very Mets was like a dagger slowly pressed into my heart. I'm going to need help for the next few years. I heard this line. Jason Benetti was the announcer on Fox Saturday night. And I thought Saturday's broadcast on Fox was odd. It was not about the game. It was all about baseball and this new rule and that new rule. And what do you think of this? John Smoltz likes basketball better than baseball. Like it, it seemed as if the game was an afterthought, which maybe considering where the Mets are in the standings was the smart thing. I'm going to defend Benetti on that line. So what happened was when he says that was a very Mets-like double play, and then John quickly said, hey, look, there was nothing Nimmo could have done. I think Benetti meant unlucky. That's what I thought he meant, that the Mets have had a bad season. We all know that. And there are a lot of factors that lead to a bad season, as we were just discussing. One of those factors has been bad luck. One of them. Not not that that's the ultimate reason. It certainly isn't. But they have not had a lot of luck this season, whether it's injuries early on, whether it's lineouts that turn into double plays. They've had a lot of bad luck. And I thought what Benetti was saying on that double play was that was very Mets-like. Here's a ball that's hit decently well, and it turns into a double play. Isn't that so typical of the Mets? That's what I think Benetti meant, if you ask me. Uh, I Pichardo writes, what if David Stearns wants to trade Pete Alonzo when he arrives? Would you trade Alonzo for Soto? Both have one year left of control. I do think that while I'm going to give you my opinion on what the team should do, I gave my opinion before the trade deadline. They certainly didn't listen to me. You know, I, I didn't want to trade David Robertson. I didn't want to trade Max Scherzer. I didn't want to trade Justin Verlander. Now that they have, you certainly try to understand why. And your view starts to change once you see the players they got back. So I may disagree with trading Pete Alonso, but you have to let your baseball people make baseball decisions. And if David Stearns is taking over, you have to let David Stearns make decisions. So I may disagree with his decisions. And if his first decision is, let's trade Pete Alonso for prospects, I will scream about it. But I also think it's really important that the team president gets to make those decisions. I wouldn't want the owner necessarily stepping in and saying, hey, you know what? We love Pete. Can't do that. And you have to let your baseball people make the baseball decisions. We do appreciate the emails. We'll get to a lot more of them, obviously, as the pods roll on during this meaningless regular season. We'll hear a lot from you, the RicoB at gmail.com. I do want to brag about one thing. One thing I'd like to brag about. Pete has an inquisitive look. I'm on my way to being right about something. Do you know what that is? Hmm. On your way to being right about something. On my way. Not there yet. On my way. I have no idea about the, about the Mets this season. Uh, this homestand. Oh, Prior yeah. to the series against the Cubs, I said to Pete, 10-game homestand, what's your prediction? And I gave you my prediction. I was very specific with my prediction. Pete said they're going to go 2-8. and eight. I said, nah, they, they're going to win some games. And I specifically said they will win two out of three against the Cubs. Ding. They will lose <laughs> three out of four to the Braves. Ding. Ding. <laughs> and then this is why I'm on my way. I'm not right yet. They'll win two out of three against the Pirates, and they will complete a 5-5 five and five homestand. 
So we'll see if they can do that because they still have to win two out of three against the Pirates, which I know because they're so close in the standings. There are going to be many Met fans saying, I hope you're wrong. Let's go Pirates. They're better off losing. But they do have three games coming up against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so far on this homestand, the Mets have won three games and they have lost four games. So Pete is officially wrong. They're not going two and eight. And I'm not officially right yet. That's for damn sure. But we'll see (laughs) if they can pull that off and go five and five. They're three and four so far on this 10 game homestand. And this game I went to Sunday night is actually going to be the only game on this homestand I go to. So I will have finished the homestand with a perfect record. Obviously, the first uh, bunch of games I was on vacation, and then these games against the Pirates, this is my way of transitioning into a uh, a promotion. Monday, maybe later today, depending on when you're listening, Tiki and I will be live from Giants camp. So commuting from Giants camp to City Field for Mets Pirates is not really doable. And then on Tuesday, we'll be at Florham Park in New Jersey for Jets camp. And yes, commuting to City Field from Florham Park not really doable, and then they play an afternoon game on Wednesday. So one game on this homestand, and I'd like to say, yay, I was undefeated. 1-0, baby. Let's go. By the way, email me this, um, or you, I guess you could tweet at me about this as well, and Pete about this. Is anybody interested in Otani at City Field in two weeks? I get the sense that that could be an event especially if Otani pitches in one of those games, which I know he's missing his next start. He's tired, but then he's scheduled to make a start next week. He would be in line to pitch on Sunday afternoon at City Field against the Mets. Is that a big deal? Because we've never seen it. So I don't know. I'm kind of pumped up for it. I already told my wife, I said, listen, I don't know which of those Met Angel games we're going to, but if Otani's pitching, I think we got to move the schedule around. I definitely want to see it. I, I'm pumped uh, because uh, this is his first experience at City Field and won't, will not be his last. My one disappointment was while you were on vacation, there was a buzz from Ken Rosenthal saying that basically if for all the stuff that you heard about um, about next year, that Steve Cohen is definitely going to be in on Otani. And I hate that because all the moves he's made that have been big splashes, you didn't hear any rumors about I, I, that would concern me. I, I'm not surprised that they would at least try to get the best player. Maybe we've ever seen. I think it's, I think it would be the opposite. If you're not going after Shohei Otani, you're not serious about winning that. That's how I would look at it. So whether you're the Mets, the Yankees, you, every team should go after him. I just don't think it's really believable that he's going to come here. I'd love to be wrong about that. I can't rule it out completely because I think we're all just trying to surmise what Shohei Otani wants. So, you know, we're all trying to collect the same data, which tells us, well, he likes the West Coast. We don't know if that's still true, but we surmise that. He wants to win. The Mets are coming off a terrible season. None of us really know, but I would not be confident that they're going to pull this one off. All right, so I'm going to start this now on the Rico Bronia. When the Angels come to town, I want City Field packed. Yeah. And I want as many Otani signs, and I want cheers, and I want support for the Mets and Otani. That no one, there's no booze. I want Otani to get a, yeah. a real positive experience. Yeah. That worked out so well when the Knicks fans <laughs> tried to do that with LeBron James, right? <laughs> we love you, LeBron. 
Oh, quickly about that, because it's a, it's a great idea. You know when we did this, and I don't know if anyone remembers this. I think it was late 96, okay, 1996 season. There were a lot of rumors late in the year that during the offseason, the Giants were going to trade Barry Bonds, that they were going to move on from him. And I remember being a part of this, giving Barry Bonds a standing ovation, standing up and clapping for him during one of his at-bats because we all wanted him. I wanted the Mets to go after Barry Bonds. And there were some rumors about it that the Mets had some interest and they ultimately re-signed Bernard Gilkey. <laughs> Look it up. Look it up. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but they were really hot for Barry Bonds and we gave him a, a big ovation when he came to Shea Stadium late in the 1996 season. Anyhow, more on that as time rolls on. We'll have time for it. We appreciate you listening and downloading. I'm back on the air all week with Tiki 2 o'clock on the fan. We'll have another Rico after the Pirates series is over. Thank you for listening and downloading another edition of Rico Brilliant. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>